0: Um, before we get into the word, there was just a sense of similar to what um, Pastor Tiffany was saying—that meant God loves us, and that the scriptures that we're going to look at, which will be 2 Peter one three through four, it's important for us to type to digest these scriptures from the perspective of a loving parent trying to give wisdom to a child so that we can improve our lives, as opposed to a taskmaster that is looking to make you do something um, against your will. God wants the absolute best for us. Sometimes that doesn't always feel well. I mean, I'm a parent, I have four kids, and there are times when, you know, my kids, they don't really want to do their homework, but I know what's best for them in that regard, that they need to do their homework um, so that they are able to um, have an opportunity in life by doing the best that they can here. Not that everything ends if you do bad in school, but why not put them in position where they can um, start off on an easier pathway than if I just allow them to not do homework and things of that nature. And so it's in that kind of mode or mind frame that I think is important as we approach the scriptures this evening that we remember that God is a loving father, and that he is communicating through Peter to the people during that time, but also to us some things that he wants, that he has deemed that are important for our well-being. So with that being said, um, if you haven't heard already, we will be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And the title of my sermon this evening is Partaker of the Divine Nature. Are you a partaker of the divine nature? God has made some things available to us um, that should take us out of just the natural realm and put us into the supernatural realm. Not that we in it of ourselves are some kind of super saiyan, a cartoon that I used to watch and um, things like that. Not that we've become some Superman or X-Man or something along those lines. But when um, the Holy Spirit is operating through us, when we are living the God um, a lifestyle of godliness, um, that is being purified on a consistent basis or sanctified on a consistent basis by God himself, and we begin to um, live in the image of Christ, we are actually moving into a space of supernatural living. Amen. Are you a partaker of the divine nature? Second Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for an opportunity to come before you I'm never in a space or I, I try to stay away from a space, Lord, that I, I, that I will take for granted that you are here with us. You who created the entire universe have chosen here in Chantilly, Virginia to meet with us, to rendezvous here with us. And so I pray, Lord God, that you will use me as a tool to communicate the things that you want to get across to these, your people. I pray, Lord God, that you will help our ears to hear well and that you will prepare our hearts So that seeds can be planted and that fruit will come about 30, 60, 100 fold. Don't allow this just to be a time where we check off the box of our religious activity. But I pray that our lives will be changed, not because of me, but because of your greatness. So I give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second Peter is a letter that Peter wrote to to several different churches. So it's not one church in particular, but there are several churches that we presumably would think that he had played a role in helping to plant. Some, some, some believers that he helped to birth into um, the kingdom of God, that he was able to play a role um, in their lives. And one of the things that we find out as you look in Scripture in and, and verses um, 14, we see that Peter um, is really in a space where he knows his life is about to come to to an end. And so this letter actually is more like a farewell discourse. And there's some level of urgency, of importance, that he is trying to get across to these folks who this letter is being sent out to because he knows his time is short here on the earth. Many um, theologians, they believe that he was um, imprisoned by Rome and that he was, his execution was imminent, that it was coming about. And he, he was very well aware that this would be one of his last communications that he would be able to have um, with these various churches. And in particular, the, the various members that are there. And so he, he, he kind of gets straight to the point. I mean, he, he opens up in verses 1 and 2 with the introduction. And he kind of lets it know, be known who he is. He, he, he helps the, the believers there who read the letter to understand us here, even in this day, that we've obtained to the same type of faith that he has. So he doesn't see himself as more important by any stretch of the imagination. But he also recognizes that he has a special call on his life as an apostle. And so he uses some of that authority here in this letter so that the, the awareness of those who are listening will recognize that this is serious and that as a special messenger of God, we need to pay close attention to what is being said here. And in verse 3, we see that he jumps right in to his argument. See, Peter has become aware that there are false teachers who have been attacking the church. And he wanted to, to do something about it. So not only is he trying to make sure that he, he shares some things that are very important into his own heart, he also wants to protect sheep from ravenous wolves. He he, 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 he um, wants to prepare them for the attacks of the enemy and the ways that they will come. And so we see right away in verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And though not explicitly said, we can see that there is something, there is some type of false teaching that has been trying to creep in that says, if you really want to pertain to life and godliness, you need to get this special knowledge that I have. There's some type of teaching that was, was, was being presented to the people that said, you know, I, I, I know that, that you heard about Christ from the apostles. However, you need to, to understand what I have. This special knowledge that has been made available to me if you really want to be able to walk in life and godliness. If you if you really want to obtain to that, if that's really a desire of yours. And isn't that just like the enemy? To play on things that are so important to us, to use that to deceive us and to bring us into his lure, into his capture or 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 his lair or his his prison. These false teachings are similar to what I, I, I think is happening today when we, we look on TV or we read in the news or, or maybe it's, it's something that we're, we're seeing with our neighbors. It's not religious in, in its nature, but there's a, a sly attack that the enemy has constantly been lobbing against us as believers that sometimes we're not aware of. I mean, have you ever really desired to have security in life? And, you, and you've been presented with this, this kind of teaching that if I go to college, if I get a great degree and I get a good job, then I should be secure in my life. And this, this tempting kind of fruit that hangs in front of us, this constant message that's presented to us over and over again as we're going through elementary school, as our parents are speaking this message to, to us, the enemy is able to play on See, in verse 4, what Peter says is um, that we have escaped the corruption that's of this world because of sinful desires. Sinful desires aren't always those things that, that are kind of the cardinal sins, right? Like murder or going out and, and robbing someone, stepping outside of your marriage or, 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 or using drugs or something along those lines. Sometimes sinful desires is simply trying to do life without God. It's like Eve taking that fruit and wanting, seeing that that fruit was good for taste, but also that she could be like God. Adam following along. Sinful desires put us in a position where we want to take our own autonomy and say, God, I'll do it on my own way. And that's what is bringing about this corruption and the enemy knows that. And so those deep Seated desires that we have, sometimes really good, that desire for security, that desire to belong, that desire to be significant, that desire to have some type of positive identity. He wants to present a different way, just like these false teachers. They they wanted to present a different route to achieving life and godliness. The world presents that to us. You know, one example of this I thought was kind of funny. When I was a kid, um, everybody loved Michael Jordan. And everybody loved Michael Jordan as far as I knew. If you didn't, there was something wrong with you or something like that. And there was a commercial that came on that was so popular in the area um, that they made a go-go song about it. It was a Gatorade commercial. (laughs) Somebody, nobody don't know anything about that? Sometimes I dream... That Mike is me. (laughs) I can't sing. But the reality is they made a song out of it. And and the Gatorade commercial talked about, man, I could be like Mike. And the hidden message behind that was, if you drink this Gatorade, you too can jump from the free throw line and dunk the ball. (laughs) That you'll be one of the most popular people on the planet and have great shoes that everybody would want to wear. Be rich beyond your, your wildest dreams. There was that little bit of twisted truth that was in there that presented a, a lie, in essence, to me. One of the, the things about looking at um, Michael Jordan as somebody who I would want to be like one day, that lie comes to an end really quickly, right? Like, I'm not 6'6". I can't jump like that. I don't shoot that well. No colleges came to look at me Um, when I was playing high school basketball. I didn't go to University of North Carolina or anything like that. That was able to come in really quickly. But one of the problems that we have with the way that the enemy attacks us is what happens when you don't come to the end of that lie very quickly. What happens when you find your significance in the idea of gaining power? So if you become a CEO one day, then there will be some level of fulfillment for you. And you've bitten into this fruit at a very young age because of the pain that you felt from a broken home. Or someone doing some things that they had no business doing to you. The enemy takes advantage of that pain and implants the lie in your mind there. And you begin to pursue after this, just like these false teachers were going and they they wanted to present something that people were striving after. It wasn't easy to be a Christian during this time. You got to think about it. Nero, the, the Caesar uh, or the emperor of Rome, was persecuting Christians. This wasn't one of these situations where being a Christian would get you ahead in life. It was actually something that was bad. And these false teachers was coming in to take advantage of that. And likewise, the enemy has done the same to a lot of us. He's presented lies. He's presented them in such a way that even though that they're good, man, I just want companionship. We begin to sell ourselves short and and we end up in relationships we have no business ending up in. And what should be reserved for marriage, we give up early because we want that sense of companionship. The enemy presents a lie and we don't always find out that it's unfulfilling, that it overpromises and underdelivers. So there's a deception there. And so as Peter is opening up this idea of the divine power, he says that it's by God. He says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's not putting our eyes on what other people are saying. It is putting our eyes and our hopes and our trust in who God is and what he has done for us and the power that he is enacting in your life to change you and make you more like Christ. One of the fascinating things as um, you think about Peter is like when he first meets Jesus or when it's first reported of his meeting with Jesus and, and how Jesus tells him to cast off his, his ship after asking him to borrow his, his boat so that he can preach. You know, as a way of saying thank you, he says, hey, man, go ahead and cast out and you know, throw your nets out. You'll get a great catch. And Peter's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm really going to do that. But he decides to go ahead and be obedient and he gets a great catch. And we see Peter falling on his face before Jesus and repenting because he recognized that Jesus was something else, that there was something else. And he knew that he was a sinful man in the presence of a holy man. See, I don't, I don't think Peter just worshiped God and just recognized this divine power because of God's position But there was an intimacy that he had there, because as you look at the rest of verse three, he says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That knowledge is not just head knowledge. It's it's an intimate knowing. And as he spent time with Jesus over the years that Jesus walked on the earth, it's not that he just recognized that this was the son of God, that this was the Messiah. But there was something about him similar to how I might have seen Michael Jordan. That he was in awe of this life and godliness that Jesus walked in. That the type of love that he demonstrated was something to, to go after. Like, man, I want to be just like him. And so as a disciple, he committed his life to be like Jesus. Do you see Jesus like that? You know, we sing songs so often about the beauty of Jesus. Here we, we're talking about how he makes the darkness tremble. But do you know him like that? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you trust that? When when that deep pit in your stomach comes because you don't see yourself the way that maybe the song is saying that Jesus loves you? Are you able to trust that he's actually gonna be able to provide something for you? In your time of prayer, are you actually talking to him or are you just saying words? When you sing, are you singing to him or are you just singing words? See, when we we think about life and godliness, it's something that we got to keep together as a package and not separate out. Life in it by and of itself is we can come into a belief in Christ and we can throw off the constraints of unrighteousness saying, hey, I'm saved by faith. I'll do whatever I want to do. And we're not pleasing to God like that. We don't walk in the fellowship that he would have with us. So in essence, you don't really get to know him and get plugged into this power source. On the, on the other end, godliness by itself, you end up like a Pharisee. Where on the outside it looks good. Paul said that concerning the law, he was perfect. Meaning that other people could not call him out on any sin. And he was a part of a sect that, was a, that persecuted and had Jesus crucified. Godliness by itself is devoid of real belief, real faith in God, real relationship. And Peter didn't have that. Peter knew who Jesus was. He spent time with him. He fell in love with him. He wanted to be like him. And so he began to recognize that, man, when I look at the course of my life, because remember, he's writing this letter with the idea that he's going to be persecuted or, excuse me, um, executed. And I look back over my life and I think about where Jesus brought me from. When I think about, I cut a guy's ear off and Jesus put it right back on. What kind of love is that? When I thought I was going to die on a boat and and Jesus came out and and he told the storm to be quiet and he stilled the wind. What manner of man is this? Jesus, if it's really you who is walking on water, bid me to come. He gets out of the boat and walks on water. He sees that divine power working in his life. Even when he turned his back on Jesus and denied him three times. What kind of love did Jesus demonstrate for him when he told him to, that you, you have not been kicked out of the family, son? That I still have purpose for your life. That there's nothing that you've done that, that can stop my purposes for your life. See, he knew him. There was a knowledge that he had. And that we, if we want to be connected to this power, if we want to be able to fight against the lies of the enemy, especially when they come in at such intimate points in our lives and he takes advantage of the brokenness that's there for us, we got to be connected to Jesus by knowing him. And in turn, as we get to know him and as we trust him more, verse 4 says, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises. Do you read your Bible every day? Do you read it just to check the box? Just in case if you run into Pastor Brett in the, in the foyer, you say, hey, man, I'm reading my Bible every day. <laughs> are, you, are you reading it in tandem with the Holy Spirit so that you can gain more knowledge of Jesus? You know, there are, there are, there are, there are men and women, great men and great women who have come and gone on this earth that we can read about. And we can kind of know about their lives and we can be inspired by their lives, but we can never know them um, because they're gone. But we can know Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can know him. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We can share our dreams with him. He would give us his instructions for us. There's an intimacy that's there to be had. And as we enter into that intimacy, we should be able to discover that there are promises that He has made along the way. So that when the anxiety is starting to build up in my life and I'm not truly trusting that God has a future and a plan for me, I look at scriptures and find out actually, He does have a purpose and a plan for me. And I can hold on to that truth, I can hold on to that promise. When he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you, then I I can understand that though there have been people in my life who have left me, maybe my father wasn't there, maybe my mother wasn't there. God says he's never going to leave me. Even when I fall, even when I, I mess up royally, he says he will never leave me nor forsake me. I can trust that. So how do we move that from our head to our heart, though? Because this type of knowledge is not just the kind of knowledge that we intellectually can assent to. It's not just um, saying it and thinking that it's something that's going to come about. Well, there, there, there's three things that I feel like the Holy Spirit has shown me. One example, um, number one, we got we to die to ourselves. Jesus said that um, we have to be willing to lose our life to gain it. But if we hold on to our lives, we'll lose it. Some of the dreams and the aspirations that you have have come because of this false promise that the enemy has made for you. And you're still striving after it. You're still going after that. And not the purpose that God has for you. Not the life, the Zoe life, the God kind of life that he has made available to you. You're not necessarily walking in the godliness that comes along with his purifying work in your life because you're on a different path. And you're not there to receive it. It's not that God doesn't want to give it to you. It's not that God doesn't want to work it in your life, but you're not available to it because you're on your own course. And we're asking God to bless our plan when all along there may be something different that he has for you. And just in case the enemy tries to lie to you, God is not in the business of putting you in a position of the worst case scenario that you could ever think of. People who get called to third world countries to become missionaries there, man, they have a desire to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The enemy likes to tell you that, oh, he's calling you to a life of poverty and you're going to have to sell everything that you need. Will God challenge you to be obedient? Absolutely. But there's also some some level of, of God has put passions in your heart that you'll discover if you will walk in obedience to him. It's not going to be a constant fight against that. So we got to die. Second um, Corinthians twelve nine uh, verses nine and ten. Paul says this in confession about um, after explaining about these these this um, out of body experience that someone had. Um, he says, um, but he said to me um, in. in so that, so that he would not become prideful, um, God allowed him to be, um, have a thorn in his side. And he says, um, in response to that, he says, um, as he was, excuse me, let me, uh, verse um, 8, well, Paul also talks about the, the fact that he had prayed three times to God to take it away. Verse 9 is God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and uh, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, like Paul was able to rest on a lot of things coming from an earthly perspective, but he pushed all of that aside and he said, that, that is done. And in fact, I can't even trust myself to walk this life out. Because my heart will veer into the direction that I want to go. Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who can understand it? So he had to acknowledge his weakness. We have to come to a place where we recognize we cannot live a life of godliness. We we cannot get there. We cannot have the Zoe kind of life, the God kind of life that has been made available to us. If we do it in our own strength, so we have to recognize our weakness and then we lean heavily on God. We don't lean on ourselves daily on a day to day practice, just as it says in Proverbs that we lean not to our own understanding. That becomes the practice. We, 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 we brag about our weaknesses on some level. Man, I am weak. I need God. When someone says, man, Christianity is a crutch, you're absolutely right. I need God to be able to live the kind of life he designed me to have because that's the best life available to me. So, so the first step is, is this dying to self, is losing your life, is acknowledging your weakness and your inability to be able to live out this life. That's the step one when we talk about moving this idea from your head to your heart. The second one is we got to grab hold of the promises. You can see in Hebrews 11 8 through 10, where Abraham is being um, talked about in the the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it says that by the promise, see, Abraham lived in in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. He was seemingly in a good life, it's not like he was a heavy struggle. But God entered into his life and gave him a promise of a land that he would give to him. He didn't even tell him where he was going. But he put his faith in God and he began to walk out the plan that God had for him. And he reinforced. I'm sure every time he began to think, man, this is crazy. Or maybe his wife thought, man, we got to be some idiots. You don't even know where we're going. You, You don't know where we're going? What do you mean you don't know where we're going? Man, I know God has made this promise. He meditated on it. Genesis chapter 15, 5 says, And he brought him outside, God taking Abraham outside, and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And holding on to the promise of a son, even though he was past the age, God gave him a way to look at creation and see the greatness of God and begin to acknowledge that God is more than capable and able of doing this. And so it became a practice for him. That he held on to promises that God made and he rehearsed them in his mind. He used those things when, when times were, got rough and it didn't seem like it was going to come to pass, that he rehearsed those promises. He was moving it from his head to his heart. And in moving it from there, in the meditating on it, and praying and talking to God about it, he was able to walk out everything that God had promised for his life. And likewise for us. If we want to be able to partake of this divine nature, this power that God has made available to us, we got to know God. We got to know Jesus intimately. We got to know him. We got to understand that he has a standard for the way that he wants us to live. And we can't do it any old kind of way, so we need godliness. And we can't achieve life or the God kind of life in our own strength, and our own righteousness. And so we need this power of God, this divine power of God to come and to intersect in our lives. And we have to partake of these great and precious promises on a regular basis. Recalling them, fighting off the the attacks of the enemy when, when he presents a lie to us that says, you know what, you can really be satisfied this way. No, 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 no. I'm going to put my trust in God because he is well able to do this. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And we fight and we fight against it. And we get in community and we we indulge in this fight or we engage in this fight on a regular basis. This is the pathway to get it deep into your heart. It helps us to to find that intimate relationship where we're not just throwing up words when we pray, but we're actually talking to Jesus. That when we sing our songs, that that we're actually singing to him. It all starts with having a life in Christ. And so if there's anyone in here who has not come into that space, you've not come to know him. If you have not obtained to the faith that Peter starts this letter off talking about, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. To begin to take the journey, to begin to um, step into what God has for you, the plan that he has for your life. For you to accomplish things that have eternal value. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I just ask that you will raise your hand if you are willing to make that type of commitment. Amen. Some of us may be in a position where you say, you know, there there have been some wounds, some... Some situations that have arisen in the past that I'm still kind of responding to, and in fact, the reason why I have the job that I have is because, um, because of those pains. And I, I really want to feel significant, and I've always thought that if I just become this, it'll happen. Or I don't want to ever be poor again, so I'm, I'm always trying to make sure that that I have enough money, and and the, and there's a fear of poverty. Maybe it's some other in, in, internal issue. Man, we want to pray for you. James says that the prayer of the righteous has great power. And so we're going to have a team of altar workers who are going to come up and and, and be willing to pray for you. And then your task becomes to find the promises that can fight against that insecurity that may be there. That you may be able to grab hold of this divine nature and be a partaker of it so that you can walk out on the life, the Zoe life that God has for us and please him with the godliness as we emulate his lifestyle. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this word that you've given to us. I thank you um, that you've brought us into um, a relationship with you that um, we can begin to be partakers of this divine nature. Help us um, to, to move away from walking in our own strength and living in such a way that's empowered by you where we could be considered sons of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.